Christmas in France, 1914. It was a few months into the First World War. And after weeks of intense fighting, German and Allied troops are dug into two trenches that are snaking across the north of France. And they've been promised, you'll be home for Christmas. But now, tens of thousands of young men are being killed every day. Imagine that Christmas being at a trench hundreds of miles from home, wet, cold, and hungry, with no realistic hope that you'd be alive in January. The Germans start singing Christmas carols at about four o'clock on Christmas morning. Silent nights, in fact, they sang, still an act, which we've just sung. Think about what it felt like to hear those carols drifting across no man's land, knowing that the people singing them, singing carols that you knew and cherished and had sung uh, since uh, you were young, those people were trying to kill you. Think about the courage it took to be amongst the first walking out of the trenches on Christmas morning, those awkward and clumsy conversations as you exchanged chocolate flour kraut. Imagine the perplexing joy of that bonkers referee-free football match that reputedly had an all-too-familiar scoreline, England 2, Germany 3. Think about the surge of hope as you shook hands and agreed on a rematch for Boxing Day. Consider the furious reaction of both sets of generals. They feared you can't win a war with singing, simple presence, and football. With hindsight, I can't think of a better way to fight a war. But Lance Corporal Henderson of the Royal Engineers wrote home with this awful news. This is what he wrote. He said, on Boxing Day, the ground where we'd been so chummy and where Germans had wished us a Merry Christmas was now covered with the dead. There wasn't much Christmassy about Christmas 1914. No tables laden with food, no exquisitely wrapped presents, no perfect pitch choir to sing us soothing songs. But there was courage and there was the deep desire for peace and there were powerful people horrified that the birth of a baby 1900 years previously still reverberates for good in the darkness. Let's keep going back this time to Winchester here in Winchester 1647. Not very Christmassy either. Five years previously, the Parliamentarian Army had breached Winchester's outer walls. There'd been wholesale destruction of the cathedral. And in the summer of 1647, the long parliament banned the celebration of Christmas. Imagine the government doing that. They had some compelling public health reasons to do so. Public spiritual health reasons, that is. The Puritans were dismayed by all the waste and extravagance and disorder and excessive drinking that were part and parcel of an English Christmas. They felt, with some cause, that it had all got a long way from Bethlehem. And so they banned Christmas by parliamentary decree 
No feasting, no singing, no decorations. Shops had to be open. There were specific penalties for anyone either organizing or attending church services to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. And they were sanctioned and enforced by one of our most zealously Christian parliaments. There wasn't much Christmassy about Christmas 1647. No carol services, no festive joy, just the fear of punishment. No rest or peace, just another day at the office. But there was resistance, and there was subterfuge, and there was civil unrest. And by 1660, Christmas was back on the menu by popular demand. There were probably secret services at home, as still happens in North Korea and Afghanistan today. A candle lit after dark for someone to tell the Christmas story, a, a good evening meal with friends, a good turn done for a neighbor in need. But we're in for an even greater surprise if we go further back still. There wasn't much Christmassy about the first Christmas, when you think about it. In the highlights we've heard tonight, we have fear, miracles, courage, faithfulness, a scandal just averted, an overbearing government, a family making do, and the worst guest list for a global launch event ever. Yes, there were splendid angels. Yes, there's plenty of joy and spontaneous praise of God. Yes, there is, of course, the best of love. But it all comes after years of agonized waiting for God's people, and it's swiftly followed by two-faced Herod's death squads who butcher the children of Jerusalem. And Jesus, Mary, and Joseph escape over the Egyptian border as refugees by the skin of their teeth. If the first Christmas wasn't very Christmassy either, then the Puritans had one thing right, at least, that we in England have come a long way from Bethlehem. If the first Christmas wasn't very Christmassy either, then the heroic young men of the Western Front have much to teach us about the cost of true peace and who or what stands in our way. If the first Christmas wasn't very Christmassy either, then this Christmas, not being very Christmassy, is actually not a disaster. And I speak to myself first and foremost. I am a party boy. And so I'm very grumpy at all these curbs on our lives. I'm a pastor, and so I feel the pain of our wider community deeply. I am the friend and avid fan of many medics, and so I'm very concerned for their well-being and their capacity to look after us. But Christmas was never about food. It was never about happy families. It was never about shopping. It was always about love, the love of God for our broken and frightened world, a love that is daring and risky and revolutionary, still reverberating 20 centuries on. It is unending and unbreakable. It is a love worth celebrating with all that we are. A love that doesn't need a building to sanction it, that doesn't bow to powers that ban it. 
that recognizes as unique every person on our planet. So may God give each and every one of us, for all the best reasons, and even if it surprises us, the most un of Christmases.